this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today Earlier this month the Indian Council of Medical Research's Director General Dr Balram Bhargava said that once the country begins to consider reopening schools it would be wise to open primary schools before secondary schools provided all school teachers and staff were vaccinated A vast majority of schools in India have been shut for over 15 months now since March 2020 affecting 24 crore students Various states have opened temporarily for senior classes sometimes only to shut again when covid-19 cases rose online classes have been around as a substitute but with less than 25% of indian households having access to the internet as per the national sample survey of 2017-18 how far can digital learning go have our students lost a year of learning and are they potentially going to forget what they learned before the pandemic struck does india need a road map for the reopening of schools and how can it do so safely To address these questions and more we have with us today Anurag Bihar CEO Azim Premji Foundation Good evening Anurag and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast Good evening Zubeda pleasure to be here Anurag it's been more than 15 months since school shut down in the country impacting 15 lakh schools and about 24 crore students in India could you talk to us a little bit about how this has affected children's learning the word unprecedented has become so common in the context of the pandemic and it truly is so once in a century pandemic and that's what is happening with education that education is in a state of emergency which uh, education hasn't seen actually hasn't seen ever because uh, the kind of uh, schooling systems that are there across nations and certainly across india this kind of extensive schooling was not existing in 1917 18 when we had this kind of a pandemic right so to go to see a parallel of the kind of emergency the schooling system is facing one really has to uh, go very far back and even then it's not exactly the same now as you said schools have been shut shut from march of 2020 what does it mean it means uh, a few very simple things one that uh, most children of our country most children of our country have had actually no formal education and uh, it's it's quite clear now that this whole idea of online education is very ineffective certainly with school going children so whatever efforts have been there and some of those efforts are good intention so there's not a criticism of their efforts but the efficacy of online education is just not there so sc- schools have been shut children have been out online efforts have failed some states and some teachers have uh, gone out particularly in rural areas tried to conduct mohalla classes but that's very inadequate you know how much of mohalla classes which means you know you go to a neighborhood and conduct a class how much of that would you do the summary is that children have not gone through the kind of schooling that they, they would have gone through for 15 months and what that leads to is not just the let's call it the deficit of learning from this these 15 months but also the fact that children forget it's a very simple thing you know it's it's very heavily researched but it's also a very simple thing if kids don't go to school 
you know, and for 15 months, then whatever they remember, learned and they knew in, uh, in, in March of 2020, a lot of that they'd forgotten. Uh, we've researched that. We've researched that through a large sample. And therefore, this, what we call learning loss, is also a very significant effect. Right? So in summary, there's a, there's a huge loss of learning that should have happened and that had happened. That's part one. Part two is uh, we don't know what exactly is going to happen when the schools open up. We don't know whether a lot of children will drop out. And we know that such things affect the most vulnerable the most. We fear. We fear that the economic devastation that has been uh, you know, ravaging the country, that would lead to a situation that uh, perhaps you know, hundreds of thousands of children might drop out of school. And that would, you know, that's really meaning that uh, we lose hard-won gains of getting children back to schools or getting children into schools over the past few decades. So that's a second kind of effect that we are apprehending and we should prepare for, meaning we should, we should know that the risk is there and we should do everything to mitigate that risk. Uh, the third is that uh, for the vast majority of children in this country, for the vast majority of children in this country who go to public schools, that's government schools, uh, the midday meal, the nutrition offered by that was a very significant thing. So we are not even very clear, and particularly given, again, the economic devastation, what effect has it had on the nutrition status of children and those from the most vulnerable groups? So uh, in summary, it is a, it's an it's a absolute state of emergency uh, for education. And, uh, and, and, you know, we have to really prepare. We have to prepare. We can't take anything uh, for granted in the sense of saying, look, Let's just reopen schools as though nothing happened. We have to be aware of all these problems and the risks and to be prepared to tackle them. Anurag, since the second wave of the pandemic began to ebb, state governments have relaxed lockdown restrictions and industries and commercial outlets have opened. And yet only a few states have announced the reopening of schools and these have been restricted to senior classes. Do we need a roadmap for schools to begin opening for all classes? Or is that still premature taking into consideration apprehensions of a potential third wave? Well, we do need a roadmap to open schools. That is very clear. We do need a roadmap. In fact, uh, if we do not have a roadmap, then how would we ever uh, open schools safely and as early as possible? So we do need a roadmap. Uh, and before I talk about that, let me mention one important thing, which is that so long as schools are shut, we still need to do something to make the best of the situation for the children out there. And that, as I mentioned before, is not going to happen through online programs. It is going to happen only through only through face-to-face -face contact that teachers can do. And that cannot happen with inside schools, but can happen only if teachers go out to the neighborhoods and conduct some small sort of group classes in the open. But the point is, we must have a roadmap for the schools to open up. But as long as the schools are shut, we must do something to engage children back into education. Now, as far as the roadmap is concerned, uh, I think these are the following, these are things that are important to develop that roadmap. The principles, I would say, I'd, one can't talk about the specifics of a roadmap that would vary from state to state it would depend a lot on what would happen from here on uh, in the next few months on the pandemic, on the vaccination program. But 
I think these are the principles that uh, if we follow, we perhaps would have an effective roadmap. The first thing is that uh, we must we must not open schools unless all school teachers and other pe- other people who work in those schools are vaccinated, fully vaccinated. And the reason for that is quite simple. One, that protects them. And two, it reduces the possibility of their be- be- becoming carriers of the infection to children and then onward to the communities. So principle one, vaccinate all teachers and all other team members of the school and only thereafter open. Second, I feel that we will have to open schools before all children are vaccinated. I don't think we can or we need to wait for all children to get vaccinated before we open schools. But that doesn't mean that we should not have a rigorous plan for the vaccination of children. Our vaccination program for adults has struggled and has struggled for very many reasons. We should learn from those problems. We should learn from our mistakes and we must ensure that we have a very rigorous, thoughtful program for vaccination for children and which is executed rigorously. But in any case, the second point is, I think we should and we do need to open schools even though all children would not be vaccinated. Third is then, how does one think of opening schools? And this is, this is actually a very simple principle. And the simple principle is that we should open schools which serve proximate communities. So let's take a school, uh, a school up to class eight, which is serving one village. And if you go by the first principle, the teachers and the staff are vaccinated. Now that school will have children who are from that particular village. And the reality of the village life or any such neighborhood life is that those children and the adults also intermingle. And therefore, by opening up school, that particular school, you're not increasing the risk of the spread of the pandemic any bit at all. And therefore, if you think of such schools, which serve very proximate communities, by opening them up, the risks of infection are non-existent, I would say. The second aspect of this principle is how much of that particular community vaccinated. If this, if the population of that community is such that it is mostly vaccinated and the school is serving only that community, then one can see clearly that the risk of the spread of the infection is absolutely minimized. Now, if you think of these two factors as to how proximate is the school community and what is the level of vaccination, then it leads leads you to a certain kind of what you call roadmap where you can open schools on the basis of schools serving proximate communities and factoring for the vaccination. In effect, what it means, in effect, what it means is that uh, primary schools and what are called upper primary schools, and particularly in rural areas, they should be opened up first because they serve very localized neighborhoods, very localized populations in a village. So they should be opened up first, even though the vaccination rates there may not be much because the those kids are anyhow intermingling, the adults are intermingling, and therefore the spread of infection. Uh, the risk of the spread of infection is sort of minimal, even if you open them up. It also means that large urban schools where children are coming from vast distances, from multiple communities, there the risks are much higher, and therefore you should open them up only the vac- only when the vaccination rates in all those communities are very high. Right? So uh, it, it sort of seems a bit complex, but it really is not when you just 
sort of distill down those two basic factors. That is the school serving a approximate community where people anyhow intermingle? And what is the rate of vaccination in the communities that the school serves? Lastly, and that's the fourth principle, if one were to do this, what one has to be prepared for is that you will not be opening schools in one grand gesture across this across the state. You'll have to open schools in particular local localities, looking at the situation on the ground there, what's the vaccination rate, what, what population is the school serving, etc. Now, that's a very significant change uh, for our system because our system is used to you know, synchronize calendars, one calendar for the entire state for all classes, right? So here, what you would have to do is that you would have to sort of empower uh, the districts and actually not just districts, but blocks to be able to take decisions on which school should be opened when, right? And then align much of the system to sort of support this, if I may call it the asynchronous calendar across schools in a particular state. Right? So those are four things that I think uh, would help in developing a reasonably good roadmap for opening up schools. So in effect, micro local level planning rather than a one size fits all approach. Absolutely, Zubeda. Micro local level planning rather than a one size fits all approach. And uh, I, I can't resist saying that uh, you know, that's true for all of school education. It's not just about opening schools, but, you know, what should teachers do? Uh, how should curriculum be transacted? You know, how do you engage with the community? That also happens effectively only if you do localized micro-level planning. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Anurag, you spoke to us about online learning really not having worked for a majority of our students. Uh, the 2017-18 National Sample Survey showed that only 23.8% of Indian households have access to the internet, and the number is even lower in rural households. Is it only access to the internet that is the problem, or is it the lack of parent, uh, teacher-student interaction? So, Zubeda, that's, that's a very, very good point, which is that the limitations or the inefficacy of online education for school-going children it's not only because of vast number of our households not having access to the net or having access to the kind of resources that can enable online education. That is there. And that, that in itself is enough for online education to be ineffective in our country. That itself is enough. But there are other factors. Let me mention one more factor which is associated with this matter of physical access. And that's not so much to do with the net or the devices to access the net. But it's just simply to do with the physical space. So just imagine most of our children, most of the 240 million children that you were talking about, what kind of a household they have. They may have a single room. They may have two rooms. Uh, a large family lives there. Now, in that physical space, even if you have a device, even if you have wonderful access to the net, which the vast majority don't, how are you going to study through your online uh, class. You can't do it. So one part of this, let's call it the physical stuff, the lack of devices, the lack of net access, uh, the physical space in itself, right? So that's that's one bit. But that is not, that's not it. That's just one part. The second part and the more fundamental part, which is what your question is alluding to, is that the nature of education, the nature of education is, of children is such that it requires social, face-to-face, -face, intimate interaction with, between the teacher and the student or the teacher and the students. Let me just talk about something very simple. 
every one of us who's dealt with children as a teacher as a parent as a as a elder brother sister as a grandparent we know this with a child with a child perhaps one of the most crucial aspects is how do you hold her attention to something and how do you then take her attention step by step in a certain direction whichever direction you want to take it to now if you think of a classroom and if you think of the role of a teacher and i'm just focusing on one specific although very crucial uh, part of the role of the teacher is about this whole attention stuff and without that attention and imagine trying to hold the attention of 30 kids 40 kids online right it doesn't work we know that right and the kids are attention is all over the place the kids attention is all over the place even in a physical classroom now imagine what happens in the online space but the attention matter i have used as an illustration the teacher has to actually that's what i'm calling social interaction which is just a fancy phrase for saying that you know we are together right just a fancy phrase for that it's only when you know the teacher and the student is together or i or you know i or you are together today on this podcast you can't see me i can't see you but only when we are together you can actually make out what's going on in my mind what am i understanding what am i appalled by what am i appreciating you know where do i have a doubt right so this process of education the process of learning at the core of education it's a social human process and that social human process cannot cannot happen online it just requires us being together right so it's it's a that fundamental level that the matter of online education is really a in some sense a blind alley i mean can online resources help a teacher uh, while she conducts a class while she teaches her students of course it can online resources can help a teacher but online education in the way we have tried to conduct or you know has been touted much this is ineffective and, and and you know before i sort of end this bit of my response i must also mention that i'm not even i've not even gone into the territory of asking the some even more basic questions as to what is the goal of education what are our curricular goals and if our curricular goals are not merely uh, the understanding and i'm i'm calling it understanding of some concepts which it which itself is quite impossible because of the social human process i talked about but our curricular goals are the social development of a child the develop the emotional development of a child right uh, the ethical development of a child uh, and that all that is just you know it's beyond imagination that online education can help with that so yes the physical aspect is a huge problem and which is a cause of online education just not reaching uh, the vast majority of children but even if it were to reach even if it were to reach the basic process the underlying core process inherent in human nature and that, that of child learning is such that online education cannot be effective anurag since the beginning of the pandemic school fees have been a burning subject of discussion parents governments have wanted reductions and waivers and schools have pointed out that they have legitimate costs there are already reports of private school teachers being laid off or asked to take huge pay cuts what has the pandemic done to the viability of the school sector and to the livelihoods of teachers the pandemic has undermined uh, every economic uh, activity and it has undermined private schools as well and again if we distill it down to the very basics right which is that uh, schools have been shut and uh, 
those schools that have at least the right kind of intentions, they've tried to do their best with uh, online education. And uh, that is ineffective. We know it's ineffective and most parents and children know it is ineffective. So, uh, I mean, that is a problem, right? So, I mean, if you're, if you're not, uh, if, uh, and I, I just, I just uh, hate to do this, hate to use this phrase, but if you think of education as a service and uh, education is not a service, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fundamental social human good. So it's not a service. But if you were to think of it as a service, then the service is not being delivered. Now, if the service is not being delivered, how can you expect uh, that you get paid for it? So I would think that that's uh, how simple at a very basic level it is. Uh, now, what it does is if, if one were not to remain at uh, this level of the matter or this level of the issue, and if one were to go just one level uh, deeper into this particular matter, it actually starts getting into the very basic notion of school and the very basic notion of education. And uh, if the school and if, the, if education has been thought of as a business, uh, then this is the reality, which is uh, you're not delivering a service and therefore you cannot get paid for it. But then if education is not a service, which it is not, and if education is a social good, it's a public good, it's a quasi-public good, as Thomas uh, uh, let me just call it a social good, then uh, there's no reason to actually have private schools. And uh, we should have a, a, a system, or we should have a nation where we have such a robust public schooling system, where uh, we are really constructing and developing, and therefore all our citizens or our, all our residents are participating in education equitably as a social good. So uh, it does raise very fundamental questions, which is uh, uh, that if you think of it as a service, you're not delivering the service, so why will you get paid? Uh, but the existential question that I think it raises is uh, the very nature of what education is and therefore what kind of school should we have. And um, I mean, I do think as very many of us that what we do need is essentially a sound public education system. And uh, and that's not to wipe out the role of, uh, you know, well-intentioned, high-quality, philanthropic schools. Uh, that's not to wipe out their role. But that's the uh, those are the basic questions it raises. And it's a complicated, complex issue with no simple answer. Now, it's an equal fact that uh, uh, perhaps thousands of or hundreds of thousands of teachers of private schools, uh, they are at a loss. They're at a loss in their life right now because uh, uh, the private schools don't have the money. Uh, they have, they have, they're not paying their salaries or uh, they've cut down their salaries. Uh, and uh, by the way, some of them are having to work very hard because that online stuff still goes on. So you, one has a really complicated situation. I don't think there is a simple answer. And certainly, most certainly, those teachers are not to blame. That they're facing enormous difficulty like... Uh, you know, like anybody in this country has faced, unless you're, you know, unless you're upper middle class, you're in, uh, you know, you're in public service or you're in one of those wonderful, wonderfully successful corporate organizations. Uh, you know, most of our country, country people have faced enormous economic difficulty. Right? So I don't think there's a way, any kind of uh, simple analysis or uh, certainly no simple solution possible for this particular matter. 
Anura, a recent UNESCO and UNICEF report spoke about the importance of assessing learning loss and taking remedial measures when our schools do open. You spoke about this as well and told us that not only have children not learned this year, they have may have forgotten what they learned last year. When schools do reopen, do they need to take this into consideration? I'm actually shocked by the way we are thinking or the way some of the states are thinking of reopening schools. It's maybe shocking itself is a it's a mild word. <laughs> I should be using something uh, much sharper. It is incredible that you know we are believing that uh, whenever we open schools, which is in August to September or October or November, whenever we open schools, we are we are believing that we'll just quote unquote promote children to the next class. And uh, what is it that we are going to do about the past one and a half years? And what is it that we're going to do about what the child used to know but has forgotten? Nothing. Mostly nothing. I mean, there are a few states which are thinking of uh, uh, some specific measures. uh, And I laud them for that. Uh, But even those, I think, are quite inadequate. But just imagine, just imagine you have a child who's seemingly in, uh, uh, you know, uh, seemingly going to get promoted or will be now in grade four. And uh, she was in grade three last year and actually was in grade two when uh, the pandemic hit. So she's going to go into grade four while she was in, well, actually, she's not gone through anything of grade three and she's forgotten pretty much everything that what she had learned in grade two and grade one, right? So she's in four without knowing pretty much anything which was supposed to be there with her before that. Now. Isn't that just incredible that we are thinking that we can do that? It's just mind-boggling, you know. And uh, <clears throat> and if you ask me, what is the <clears throat> what is the what is really the educationally most appropriate solution? To my mind, the educationally most appropriate solution is that all children should start uh, as though we are in April 2020, which means what is you know what's been colloquially called zero year, losing a year. And that losing word itself is misleading. You know, who's losing what year? Anyway, the learning has been lost. So uh, if you, quote unquote, promote children to the next class, that loss is not going away. What you're doing is that you're just turning your eye away from reality. And we know any situation like this, right? Any situation like this, the same 240 million children that you referred to, it is the vulnerable who will be hit the most, the vulnerable kids. We already have just unacceptable kinds of inequity in this country, and the inequities will only sharpen and widen and harden. So of the 240 million kids that you talked about, I mean, if you look at kids from basically middle class, upper middle class homes and upper class homes, they may just make it, you know, and they may, they would make it because of the enormity of the support that they have from their parents, from their social support networks, and of course, from the highly resourced schools that they go to. But for the vast majority of the school children, I would say 210, 220 million children, this is, uh, you know, this is really playing with their future. So uh, we have to, it's just extraordinary that we are not wanting to recognize this very simple reality that our children have lost education for the past 15, 16 months. And uh, they've lost a lot of earlier learning. So 
as we open up schools we have to we have to have very thoughtful very rigorous plans about what are we going to do and uh, yes indeed we need to assess where children will be when they when they enter the classroom and they would have not learned lots and they would have forgotten lots and there will be wide variation within a particular cohort within inside a classroom and therefore how are teachers going to deal with a you know a class 4 where you have you know 60 70% 80% kids who don't know what they were supposed to know in class 1 how are you going to deal with it right so you'll have to give teacher time you'll have to give teacher extra support you have to create learn, teaching learning material books works books which actually can handle that kind of a situation uh, but you know these are matters of and these are important matters of detail but these are matters of detail they can be worked out the fundamental issue is an acceptance a recognition of the reality that there has been massive loss of learning both what children used to know and what should have happened in the past year and a half and that we need to address it if we don't address it you know we are playing with the future of you know full generation of our children that was a very illuminating discussion thank you so much anurag zubeda thank you so much it was a pleasure in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon <laughs>